Hello again, folks. This is Marty Ross, your local Aaron storyteller, here with the second part of a rather creepy yarn. Inspired, in fact, as I explained last week, by a, by a Japanese folktale. But a Japanese folktale that I have uh, transplanted, transposed, translated here to Aaron. Now, in our very first episode, our, our rather gallivanting young hero, Alec, visiting the island, was following the beautiful Alice in the twilight when a sinister something attacked him. Knocked unconscious, he, he woke in the house occupied by Alice and her uncle, the Reverend Jacob Galt. They seemed very hospitable, but there was something curious about the disturbed graves in the churchyard outside. Something even more peculiar about the, the wine they served Alec, which seemed to have been doctored, if not in fact poisoned. Too suspicious to want to stay the night, Alec attempted to leave under cover of dark, only to find himself attacked in the graveyard by a monstrous entity that raised him high and seemed about to take a fatal bite. But what came ahead of any such bite was a, a cry. Human, shrill, female from somewhere nearby, prompting, it seemed, a, a release in those stinking jaws which set Alec dropping to the ground, landing with a thump that knocked breath from his chest and sense from his mind. A moment, however long, of a blankness inside his skull, black as the menace whose jaws he had momentarily escaped, was abruptly banished by a harsh shaking at his body's wounded huddle. Feeling a second attack by that monstrous obscurity, he jerked alert on the ground, looking up to see Alice looming over him. You're alive, she said, as if astonished to find him so. He, uh, at least as astonished as she was, was straining to find some, some vague word of confirmation in his breathless body when he was distracted by a figure running past them. Flinching tighter against Aris, he realised it was the Reverend Galt running to the far end of the graveyard, where a pronounced rustling and swaying showed itself in the trees and bushes beyond. Get thee hence, Satan! The minister was crying as he snapped shut the catch in a shotgun. The devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. But here standeth the house of the Lord! He fired two blasts into the same dark mesh of leaves Alec had seen shaking about. The flare of the shots showed fragments of leaves and broken branch flying in the air. But no more than that. That's not the way it went, Uncle Alice cried. Where then? shouted the minister looking back. She glanced around and Alec likewise twisted about as keenly as his bruises would allow scanning the churchyard for the next approach of his attacker. But it was nowhere to be seen. I, I, 
I don't know. It, it just, it just went. Confront Alice. The Reverend Galt was stepping back towards them. It's not, as you can see, the time of night to be rambling about, young man. I was uh, somewhat in need of a fresh air after my evening repast dis <coughs> disagreed with me. I'm sorry to hear that, said the minister. We did try to look after you. There was, there was, there was something in that, in that wine, wasn't there? We should tell him, Uncle, said Alice. He knows as much as we know now. I know you tried to, to, to poison me and that, that, that thing tried to, well, I hate to think what it was trying to do, but, but all told, the hospitality hereabouts is, forgive me. Hardly worth sticking around for. We didn't poison you, said Alice. Of course we didn't, said the minister. Give you a wee bit of something to sedate you. Keep you sleeping until morning. The same thing we've given you for the last couple of nights. And precisely to protect you from such an encounter as you've just had. Let's get him inside, Alice. We could all perhaps do with a strong cup of tea. Oh, we'll drink from the same pot as you, don't worry. And so they all made their way back inside. Where the fire was stoked high and the tea brewed and poured, Alec found his hand was still shaking as he raised, clinkingly, cup from saucer. What in, forgive me, what in God's name is that thing, he asked. We hardly know more than you do, said Alice. For months now it's been coming, oh, and I don't know how many nights, doing what you saw there, digging up the graves, feasting, feasting on the dead, like some great maggot or carrying crow, or it is a devil, plainly, said the minister. Some creature of Satan come to vex us, precisely, I have no doubt, on account of the piety and modesty of our little community here. There is no delight for such creatures in bedeviling those ungodly to begin with. Heathens in the east talk of the ghoul, the demon that scavenges graveyards. Perhaps here in the Christian west we face a ghoul of our own. It has terrified away everyone else in the village, said Alice. Their faith in the road to Brodick, or the ferry to the mainland, outweighing their power to pray for deliverance, said the minister. But I will not, I cannot yield the Lord's ground to the devil. Or what sort of minister am I? But we've prayed and we've prayed, uncle, and still that thing comes night after night, said Alice. It's gone for tonight, the minister replied. So it suggests we all get to bed and get as much sleep as we can. Our young guest, I'm sure, will be resuming his onward journey in the morning, when it's a wee bit safer and lighter for doing so, isn't that so? Alec nodded vaguely, rising to his feet, but in, in truth he was less than certain he, he had it in him to, 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 to walk away and leave his host to their predicament. Back in his apportioned bedroom,
staring down at the wrecked churchyard below, still feeling the, the press of monstrous teeth about his bruised body. He wondered how he could just walk away, leave that girl, the girl in particular, to the mercy of that thing, whatever thing it was. Of course, he could, he could head straight to Brodick, raise the alarm. What sort of alarm might he raise? What ageing rural Bobby, content to live out the last few years before his pension with his feet up on a rural beat, would be up to dealing with the demon he had faced? And word sent to Glasgow would surely send laughter, echoing back the width of the Firth of Clyde. If such things had ever happened in Glasgow, then they happened while St Mungo was still cracking the communion wafers, and that had been some while before. So what was he to... The door opened softly at his back. He looked round. Alice stole through. Her black hair unpinned, her black dress swapped for the whitest nightgown. Don't, she said. Don't tell anyone. About this, he said, I, I've, I've been down the Nile and up the Alps and caroused in a few places between, but I've, I've never had a story to tell like the story I have from tonight. Don't tell it, please, she repeated. Because you're happy with this state of affairs? Because there's more to this than what you know already. More, he responded, you, you what, God, what, surprise me, what, you've got Jack the Ripper locked away in the cellar. No, she said, stepping closer. But that thing, I don't think it's just a thing, if you follow. <laughs> I don't quite. Well, what kind of a thing is it? Things like that, don't you see? They, they come out of people's hearts, buried or unburied, and that thing there I... I think it came out of, out of, there's one grave down there and it, it isn't touched and I, I know, I know who's in that grave and why, why he might have come back, come back like that and I, the worst thing you see, the, the worst thing for me that is, is, you look in the dark into a dark like that and still so it hurts the horror comes with with love mixed in and the love in me oh it's so lost in that dark she all but threw herself against him he did what he could to to hold her the night wrapped itself around them both and together, wounded in their different ways, they, they found solace in it. Keeping the song they shared silent enough to spare her uncle along the hall. The trouble of waking. Night. 
Waking to a rainy grey morning, Alec found she was gone. As if she had just been a, a dream. That most recent encounter between them, certainly. He rose, dressed, made his way downstairs. The table in the parlour was set for breakfast, though he could see from the dishes stacked to one side that two other breakfasts had been eaten already. He had just begun distractedly nibbling at a breakfast of his own when a sound from outside of shovel on wet mud set him making his way out into the lobby, seizing an old waxed jacket from a hook and stepping out into the rain. There, amid the sludge the rain was making of the ravaged graveyard, stood the Reverend Galt, devoutly shoveling mud back into the deep pockets of broken coffin and splintered bone that despoiled the sacred ground still more than before. Alex strode and occasionally slipped his way across to the minister and held out a hand to take the spade. Here, let, let me, he said, spitting rainwater from his lips. The Reverend Galt paused, straightening up, plainly aching back. It is to myself, my lord and my kirk of entrusted care of what's here, he replied. Though it taxes me a severer troubles yet, one's taxed Job. Like Job, I persevere. Alec gently but firmly wrenched the spade from the minister's grasp. I don't know about Job, he said, but I know this is a job in hand. And I'm too good a soul to stand by and watch you do it all by yourself. Go on. Get in. Out of the rain. I thought you would be moving on first thing, the minister said. I shall be moving on, yes, said Alec, loading his first shovelful. But not until I've done a good deed or two, paid for my upkeep, as it were. And he did his best to fill in the clawed-up graves faster than the rain could fill them with filthy water. And the Reverend Galt, rather than retreating indoors remained close by his shoulder, as if to ensure his shoveling was properly devout. And all the while, Alec's eyes were roving the desolation for a sight of... Yes, yes, there was one, at any rate, one at least. A grave set close against the dry stone wall and notably undisturbed. He finished a rudimentary heaping of wet dirt in a grave nearby and then squelched on a few steps to where this grave stood, looking down at the headstone, which looked less time-worn than many of the others, though there were rough scratches across the engraved name, which made it hard to read. Uh, this corner, as you see, said the minister, is less molested than elsewhere, I, I suggest we uh, turn our attentions back to this grave here, said Alec. It hasn't been troubled at all. 
Oh, it's a troubled grave, said the minister. The most troubled in the whole kirkyard. That's precisely why it sits aloof from the general devastation. Aloof as Satan on his icy throne. Whose grave is it? Alec asked. The minister dipped his head, obscuring his eyes behind the streaming brim of his rain hat. It was a prolonged moment before he raised the brim again and said, It belongs to my brother. My brother and Alice's my father. This came from Alice. Both men looked round to see her just behind them. Coatless, hatless, soaked and streaming with the rain. She stepped between them, stood before the headstone, laid a hand upon its upper curve, seeming to, to whisper something the rain made inaudible. Then her uncle was stepping forward, seizing the wrist of that arm, dragging her away. She went pliantly. Inside, he said. It's too involved a story for telling out in this rain. In the parlour, with the fire lit and blazing against the wet grey day's deepening shadows, the Reverend Galt dispatched Alice to brew them some tea. Instantly she was out of the room. He uh, clicked the door, quietly closed, turned to Alec and said, I had in the end to save her from him. My brother, you see, was a lost soul from the first flush of his youth. You think, young man, with your smug profession of paganism. You cock an amusing snook at the faith of your kin and culture. But my brother, he knew how to truly blaspheme. My father, our father, was a minister before me. And my brother, despising his father as sons sometimes do, cast himself as far from our family's faith as blind hostility could take him, making the coarsest accusations as he went, divorcing himself forever from my father's love and support, while running wild amid the stews of Glasgow, of Edinburgh, of London and Fowler, more far-flung spots between. On those wanderings there were, we were to learn, the crudest kinds of dalliances, with the coarsest sorts of women. One such entanglement produced a daughter, and a, a small number of years later, a, a demand in writing for financial help from myself, who had succeeded my father, the old fellow dead before his time, in part from the scars of so great a rupture with his first-born son and natural inheritor. I made the journey, for I 
loved this sinner if I loved not his sin, and found him living in squalor, in the cellar of some derelict kirk in the wilds of Ayrshire. Him and this woman he had taken, as well as their child, and a few more lost souls beside, for I was to learn that my brother had dragged his traducement of his born faith all the way into the practice of a kind of crude witchcraft. And still he had the audacity to ask me for money. I apologised for my being short of the forty pieces of silver appropriate to a Judas and turned and walked out of there. A man of my position had some influence with the local constabulary, and though witchcraft was scarcely an easy charge to press in the closing years of the 19th century, my most casual glance at my brother's surroundings had suggested many a more prosaic matter for police attention. The whole rum lot of them were arrested. All that is, save for the child, for Alice, for whom I volunteered my own stewardship. And thus I raised the child as if she were my own, while her father proved himself the sort of fellow who should have been in prison all along, his general behaviour in there frequently extending his sentence. And then suddenly, somehow he was free free and confronting me one day as I walked the shoreline down there preparing my week's sermon. The sight of him. He seemed more animal than man. A scrawny, scruffy, shambolic figure. All wily grey hair and hunted, hunting eyes. And this, this, this creature had come back to demand, to demand the return of the daughter who by this stage had been my beloved charge far longer than she'd been his neglected child. Thus it was not hard to deny him, to remind him of how much likelier the proper authorities were to take my side rather than his. He assaulted me and I felt at the time I, I barely escaped with my life. Over the days and nights that followed he he loitered about our little community and the surrounding countryside like some baleful revenant. Alice, yet a child, was as torn and tormented by the whole business as you can imagine. Finally, I had to have him confronted by the local police with a, a warning of further incarceration. He quit his ground, but only with the most terrible curse against me. And then, that very night, there was a fire among the great boulders on the shore. A fire and a sound of, of chanting, of the scraping out of the coarsest music. Alice, Alice, she was so frightened, I, I ventured out, locking her in on the shore. I found him. 
he had built a bonfire on a great horizontal slab of rock. He had caught somehow one of the stags which roam the slopes hereabouts, had freshly cut its throat before the flames, the beast's hooves still fitfully kicking. And he was shouting, shouting some gibberish spell to whatever reflection of his own burning spirit he saw in those flames. A spell, so far as I could make out, to call Alice to him and call down devils on myself. What Christian minister would I have been if I did not confront this blasphemy? I climbed the rock. I kicked aside as many of the burning logs as I could without setting myself alight. My brother rose. That twitching deer carcass still between us. He turned the knife with which he had laid it dead upon me. Told me he was prepared to be the answer to his own prayer. He needed his daughter back because the favours he was asking of his infernal master would demand more than an animal's blood next time. I confess I, I raged at the fellow, fought with him, felt his blade sinking some way between my ribs, but somehow in the struggle my, my brother lost his footing on the edge of that boulder, fell to the rocks below, cracked his head. The sound of that cracking is still with me, as surely as is the stubborn scar at my ribs. Bleeding, I steeled myself for him to rise again. He, he did not. The tide sloshing the stones below had begun to turn. Its backwash swept away his blood and some ragged scraps of his spilled brains. So he was dead. My own wound not so severe I couldn't stumble away for help. Those who knew anything of my brother thought his death no great loss. Although there was Alice to be thought of. You've been listening behind that door for a good ten minutes, Alice. I trust the tea hasn't gone entirely cold in the pot. The door to the kitchen, which Alec now noticed, had been ever so slightly ajar, was now pushed more fully forward by the tray of tea and biscuits, a rather sheepish-looking Alice carried towards them at the fire. Don't look so concerned, said the minister to a visibly awkward Alec. She's overheard nothing she hasn't heard before. Isn't that so, Alice? Alice set the tea tray down on a small table nearby. Yes, uncle, she said. I know the story. And you know that out of my devotion to you, as surely as my stubborn love and spiritual forgiveness for my sinning brother, I resisted the demands of many in the island, when the full story was known, for your father to be buried at some crossroads with the proverbial stake through his heart. No, no, I declared. This man had sinned indeed, but it's few among us who have not. 
and if the next destination of this of his soul be a matter for the Lord, decided perhaps long before he was born, then here, on this earth, out of Christian mercy and concern for an innocent child left behind, I would see him given a proper burial, free of heathen superstition, albeit in the least ostentatious part of the kirkyard. Is that not so, Alice? Yes, uncle, said Alice, pouring and milking and sugaring their tea. That's so. If only that had been the end of it, sighed the minister. Certainly for some while it was. Alice grew from child to woman, the bad memories discarded with the putting on of maturity. Is that not so, Alice? Yes, uncle, she said, distributing the teacups. And then, suddenly, the minister went on. But a few months ago, well, it's as you've seen, a presence, a foul and monstrous spirit, rising from amid those graves out there, ravaging the consecrated earth, frightening our few neighbours into fleeing, persecuting our own household, as surely as Satan ever plagued the heart of man. And as you saw for yourself, one of the few graves left undisturbed is that grave whose mouldering tenant can be the only credible source for this haunting. Behind that monstrous and solid shadow lies the vengeful heart of my brother, Alice's father. And it seems beyond my faith and prayer to exorcise him. Then said Alec, the, 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 the plain inference is that you, you have to get yourselves out of here. Far as you can from that, that wretched graveyard and well, waste no time looking back. I will not yield consecrated ground to the agent of hell, the minister declared. Though the fiend assail me till the seals of revelation open, I will not move. That's your decision, said Alec. And it's not for me to, uh, to quibble the theology. But, but if you won't go, then at least let me take Alice out of here. The immediate response of both his listeners seemed a blank astonishment at an idea so simple. So Alec emphasised its utility. Listen, listen, I, I don't know what's going on here. The, the, the happy pagan nonsense I spouted last night was, forgive me, an exercise in, yes, forgive me, teasing a man more devout than myself. I, I didn't come to you with either a, a Christian or a heathen belief in spirits or devils, or what have you. I came here as a fellow with a so simple belief in, well, footing one's way through life as easily and pleasurably as possible. No metaphysics on my menu, but I, I know what I went through last night. The feel of God, or, or, or of the opposite, rather, stirred clean through me. And I'm suddenly saintly enough to at least want to spare this, this innocent girl, the same thing. I'm going. 
as of now. And I'm taking her with me. No! The cry came from the minister, starting from his chair. What? No, take Alice. No, you can't. What? Out there. Through the wilderness she'd have to cross to get clear of that thing's reach. No. No. Leave my girl, my my innocent child, my, my sole reminder of times of the of the divinity in this fallen world to the to the protection of you. A confessedly godless soul. When the pit heaves up her sinful father's burning spirit hard at her back. No. No. She is safer here with me for all the dangers at hand. She at least knows the truth of that, don't you, girl? Alice herself glanced breathily from one man to the other, but yielded no answer. Alex stepped between her and her uncle, looking her in the eye. Alice, he said. You know as well as I do what happened last night. In light of that, I, I ask you now, make the decision. Choose the path and the companion on that path. Like this to lead you where you need, where you want, where you truly want to be. Choose a future, Alice. Choose it now. Alice stared at him as intently as he was staring at her. A long, mute second passed. And then, as the minister audibly gathered breath for his next protestation, she ran from the room, both men calling after her, Alice! But she was gone. A log crackled on the fire. A gust of wind swept rain harder against the window. Seconds ticked slow on the mantelpiece clock. When I'm going at least, sighed Alec, stomping out of the room without a glance back at the Reverend Galt. He, he hurried back to his room to regather all his things for moving on. He was just opening the door when one thought occurred to him. A recollection of his having been locked in the room, presumably for his own protection two nights before. Yet last night, on his opting for a premature exit, he had found the door unlocked. An oversight on his host's part? Or something more calculated? He opened the door fully to find Alice standing there, waiting for him, banishing all thought but recognition of her presence, allowing him not a word before she hurled herself at him, their collision driving the door into a hard click shut at his back. She kissed him, wild as the wet day's gusting of dead leaves against the window panes, then drew apart pushed a rain-wetting strand of hair away from her face and said, I'll pack some things and we'll go. Ten minutes, that's all I'll need. And then she was all but pushing him aside, pulling the door open, hastening into the passage, leaving him alone to shake off the shock of how fully this insular slip of a girl had seized him. 
Alice herself in her room at the passage's far end felt something similar with regard to this wandering stranger's throwing wide for her of a door she had barely dared open by a chink. She was busying herself stuffing a modestly sized canvas bag with odds and ends of clothing and other basic essentials. It astonished her to realise how little in that room, the room where virtually all of her remembered life had occurred, felt worth the trouble of taking. She knotted up her little bag and turned for the door. Her uncle stood there, easing the door shut at his back. Alice, he said, you can't go, I... I can't allow it. You don't want me to be safe, she asked. I do, I, I do, he said. That is and always has been the most essential thing to me. Because you are safe, you, you can be safe nowhere but here with me. Have you not noticed that for all the ravages it has worked, that that spirit of destruction has never once assaulted you? Why should that be? Unless it is my presence, yes, my presence so close about you, that has warded off the enemy. Too close sometimes, uncle, she said averting her eyes. Why, child, what does that mean? he demanded, stepping forward, seizing a slender arm in each of his hands. I mean only, she began, slowly raising her eyes. If that thing, whatever thing it is, you know, my dear, what thing it is, her uncle pressed, I've told you. If it comes from where you say, she replied, facing him directly now, and you, a man of God, are the enemy of such things. Might it be you who goads it into the open, draws its attention, and myself more in danger for, for standing next to you? But my worst fear, my dear, he said, is that this beast, spawned from my brother's heart, cares not about me at all. That it is your proximity that fires its perversions, that it flaunts them before you, not me, like some mangy cat dropping carrion on its mistress's doorstep, that though it despises me, it, it cherishes you, monstrous as it is, as if you were indeed its daughter. And who but a second father can protect you from that? No father, nor nor second father, even, she said, can protect a woman her whole life long. It, it wouldn't be right. And what then, he frowned. He's to let her run off with the first false and fancified young fellow that comes waltzing by. I know the kind of man that boy is, and I will not have... I beg you, I beg you, don't leave me. The fight I have against, against all I fear. It's such a very lonely fight already. Don't make it lonelier still. She gently 
eased his hands from her arms. You can't guess, I don't think, the loneliness I felt, she said. Here and so close to you. She swerved past him, grabbed her bag and darted for the passage in the stairs. Below, by the open back door, she found Alec waiting for her. Come, he said, extending a hand her way. It won't stay light forever and the, the rain's in no mood to stop falling. But we'll get where we're going. If we leave now. She took his hand. He led her out into the rain. Even as the Reverend Galt came hastening down the stairs, he saw their figures dissolve into the wet, grey murk outside and strode forward to do what he could to stop them, only to... only to stop, just short of the doorway, reaching out to swing the door shut before he retreated into the parlour with its restless flames in the hearth. The thought of the, the false story he had told, yet again burning in his mind. Now he was alone, he could torture himself anew with the truth. The truth of Alice, seized from her brother, guilty of Nothing more sinister or demoniac than life as a drunken indigent. The further truth of his brother reappearing after all those years in prison. Not as some worshipper of Satan, but as a simple tramp camping down on the beach. Weeping as he begged his brother for the chance to see his child again. There had been a dead stag, but dead from falling off the rocks and the slopes above, and an occurrence not so uncommon thereabouts. And his brother had indeed been cutting at it with a knife, but from some drink-sodden notion of having venison to roast over the fire he had built, rather than from any attempt to invoke evil forces. And the confrontation between the brothers had been a matter not of violent assault, but of the less well-heeled of the two begging his minister brother for the chance to see for the briefest moment his lost child. And he recalled just what, in all his own love for that child, he had done in the heat of that spray-spattered moment to make sure Alice could not be stolen back. And now she had been stolen after all, by another thief entirely, and the Reverend Galt was left alone, alone with his thoughts and his flickering firelit shadow upon the wall. But then, then, he heard the door, the back door of the house, being torn wide, all but ripped off its hinges. Cold, wet wind sweeping in about him, bringing with it a darkness, a solid darkness, so vast that it, it 
struggled to squeeze its way through the parlour door, but which wrenched its way in all the same, splintering the door frame, surging a stink of wet graveyard along with it. The Reverend Galt turned, tried to run. There was nowhere to go but the corner immediately ahead. Before he could reach that corner, he felt the beast slam hard into his back, swallowing the whole room with its darkness. So, after that, folks, I'm hoping you just have to tune in next week for some kind of explanation of the the strange things that are going on here. Even as those things get more and more dangerous for our little trio of characters. See you next time. Meanwhile, thank you for listening.